Although it would be hard to imagine that this Quidditch match was not in the movies, right? But it wasn't. I checked. It really wasn't. This chapter is called Gryffindor versus Ravenclaw. It's a very enjoyable and amusing match to read, and it's hard to believe it's. It's been cut out, and then before I proceed, I just again I I want to restate that the movie Prisoner of Azkaban, the third movie, was also one of the best. I think, if not the best, because you can say I so much has been cut out. This chapter was not in there, and we were introduced to Cho Chen, one of the major characters, and I will read it to you in a minute. But just imagine beginning with Azkaban, this third book. Rowling's story just getting really much longer and denser. You know, for the first two movies, it was relatively easy to adapt, but this task would become much, much difficult, much more difficult as time wore on. So now, especially they have a new director, Afonso Curren, I think Afonso, and he was a two-time Oscar winner for Best Director. So he's got this freedom to play around with the form and put his own stamp on the franchise. They could go another way. That is to only focus on the prisoner of Azkaban and Harry Potter. If anything doesn't concern or affect Harry and the prisoner of Azkaban, aka this Quidditch match doesn't really concern the major plot with the prisoner, so they will be cut out. They will fall by the sideways. And actually, from the third movie, this become the North Star. For the adaptations moving forward, they basically did this throughout the rest of the franchise. Just as the title suggests, if the story or subplot does not affect Harry, they will cut that out. So just to keep one message, I think it's reasonable. Even though I loved so much all the stories in the book, I still understand that film production is actually not what you think. So it's okay if they have to keep something simple, keep to the main storyline, and only to tell one storyline and to present that. Actually, they say it's because of this approach the Harry Potter film franchise was able to succeed without tripping over itself, trying to cut down or fit in every single thing from the book. So when I say this chapter was not or that chapter was not in the movie, it doesn't mean the movie sucks. It just means not there. We understand that's what makes a good movie. They can they have to be focused. But now we have the books. We have the stories here. We can read it. We can enjoy it. If one day they have the TV show, I think there is HBO adaptation coming up. I would love to see it. If it's a TV show. You can fit much more inside. I would love to see that. All right, <laughs> chapter thirteen. So Scarborough's done. It's gone, and it looked like the end of Ron and Hermione's friendship. Each was so angry with the other, and Harry couldn't see how they'd ever make up. Now, as an adult, this might seem pretty childish for me. Just like, ah,、oh, come on. But I do understand. They are thirteen years old. Your pet is everything to you. It's your baby. So Ron was enraged that Hermione had never taken Crookshank's attempts to eat Scarborough seriously, hadn't bothered to keep a close enough watch on him, and was still trying to pretend that Crookshank was innocent by suggesting that Ron look for Scarborough under all the boys' beds. Hermione, meanwhile, maintained fiercely that Ron had no proof that Crookshank had eaten Scarborough. Would be too grim. And the ginger hairs might have been there since Christmas, you know. Ron just been prejudiced against her cats ever since Crookshanks had landed on Ron's head back in the Diagon Alley. Personally, Harry was sure Crookshanks had eaten Scarvers. I don't know. I I wouldn't go straight to it's been eaten. I think I would think something must have happened. I I don't know. When I first read this part, I guess I knew 
it's not. But anywho, when Harry tried to point this out to Hermione, and、uh, Hermione just lost her temper with Harry too. It's like, okay, your sight was wrong. I knew you would. First the firebolt, now Scarbers. Everything's my fault, isn't it? Just leave me alone, Harry. I've got a lot of work to do. Poor Hermione. Although it's really childish for me to see them fight like this, but I must say I still think Ron is a perfect boyfriend material so far. It's like such a nice boy. I would date him, and he has been—he had taken the loss of his rat very hard. And he's angry with Hermione. We later find out it's not really how much he cared about Scabbers. It has much to do with how Hermione's reaction or attitude was. She didn't care. It's like you don't care about my pets. You don't care about me. So I'm angry with you. Your cat eat my rats. It's maybe I don't care about my rats that much. I just care about the fact that you don't care about me. It's funny to see how they solve their conflicts as well. So Harry tried to cheer Ron up. He he just. Persuaded him to come along to the Gryffindor team's practice and to let Ron have a ride on Firebolt, and this did seem to take Ron's mind off Scabbers for a moment. Ron just like classic boys. It's like great. Can I try and shoot a few goals in it? And during the match, the practices, Madame Hooch was also there just to keep an eye on Harry, and was just as impressed with the Firebolt as. Everyone else had been. She took it and even tried to explain to everybody. Look at the balance on it. If the Nimbus series has a fault, it's a slight list to the tail end. You often find them develop a drag after a few years. They've updated the handle too, just like blah blah blah. Again, coming back like you have a new phone or new gadget. Then everybody, all your friends, just come on admiring it. So Wood cut in and said, "Can we have the fireball back? We need to practice, Madame Hooch." And he also told Harry that、uh, Ravenclaw had a goal seeker. It's Cho Chen. She is the fourth year, and she's pretty good. I really hope she wouldn't be fit. She's have some problem with injuries, but now it seems she's in full recovery. But now coming back to the focus on the fireballs, it's like. It's okay. She writes a shitty. She it's not shitty, but definitely not as good as Firebolt Broomstick. So it's just like a joke next to your thing. He said this to Harry. It's actually pretty true. For the next Quidditch Cup, oh no, the Quidditch game between Gryffindor and Ravenclaw. You know, the commentator Lee Jordan was kept on ragging about how awesome Firebolt was, and Professor McGonagall is like, "Can we have something live instead of just you here doing some advertisement to the Firebolt or something?" So it's all focused on the how awesome this broomstick was. I was kind of thinking, well, people will say it's not fair, but it's not really like the World Cup or something. It's still just a school, a boarding school, and all the students. If you can't afford better equipment, then you can't have it. It's still、uh, like a school game. It's still just Hogwarts. It's a school. I know it's not fair. Technically, but still, it happens. And Harry is skilled. I mean, he is talented. He used the Nimbus two thousand beat Nimbus two thousand one, didn't he? And coming back to the Quidditch game itself, I think. Well, number one, you need you definitely need a good broomstick. It's like you must need your runner if you're gonna play the football, right? A best equipment. But still, we're coming back to the player himself, herself. You have to have the skills, like as Zika, as Harry. You must be able to see, catch the golden snitch. And of course, if you have a good, like fastest firebolts, then yeah, you can get there, catch it way faster than the other ones. But still, you have to have the skill and talents first as a player, right? But anyway, because of inspired by the presence of the firebolts, it was the best. 
practice ever for the Gryffindor team. Wood didn't have a single criticism to make, which, as George Weasley pointed out, was the first. I can't see what's going to stop us tomorrow. Not unless Harry, you've sorted out your demental problem, haven't you? Ever since I knew that J.K. Rowling wrote this part as depression, every time Harry has to fight against the demental, I just imagining him playing a sport, trying to fight depression amidst all of this, and Harry just like, I got it covered. Okay, don't worry about it. They also mentioned the Dementors won't turn up again. It's like Dumbledore's go ballistic. And at the end of this, Harry just said, "It's like I'm staying out for a bit. Ron wants to go on the fireboat, and he tried to cheer Ron up. And I really like how Madame Hooch has to stay as well because she was the lookout. And the Madame Hooch just fell asleep as the boys were practicing. Madame Hooch is sitting with Ron on a stand, and Harry came to meet Ron. But at the time, Madame Hooch had fallen asleep in her seat. Uh, it's like adults are like, oh." Boys, practice. I'm like so bored. So, run an expression of ecstasy on his face, mounted the broom, and zoomed off into the gathering darkness. While Harry walked around the edge of the field, watching him till night had fallen. And Madam Hooch just awoke with a start and insisted that they go back to the castle. It's like, why didn't you guys wake me up? Go back to the castle. And they were halfway towards the castle when Harry, glancing to his left, saw something that made his heart turn over—a pair of eyes. Harry stopped dead. And Ron used Loomis to check. A beam of light fell across the grass, hitting the bottom of a tree. And they checked; it was Crookshanks. Harry didn't say anything. He took a deep breath. He had been sure for moments that those eyes belonged to the Graham. I love how J.K. balanced all those emotions. It's like practicing with fireballs, ecstasy, and now give you something to be scared of. Next morning, Harry went down to breakfast with the rest of the boys in his dormitory. All of whom seem to think Firebolt deserved a sort of god of honor. It's really just all about Firebolts. Oh, enough of the Firebolts! Wood asked Harry to put the Firebolt on the table in the middle of the table and carefully turning it so that its name faced upward. And people from Ravenclaw and Hufflepuff table were soon coming over to look. Even Cedric or Robert Pattinson. <laughs> Came over to congratulate Harry and Percy's girlfriend, Ravenclaw prefect Penny Penelope Clearwater. I love this name, Clearwater. Asked if she could actually hold the fireballs. Now, now, Penny, no subtouch. It's like they are going to against Ravenclaw. It's like no subtouch. Percy told them they had a bet on who's gonna win and ten galleons on outcome of the match. And Penelope put the fireball down again, thanked Harry, went back to their table, and Percy did something really unlike Percy. He said, "Harry, make sure you win. I haven't got ten galleons. Okay, I'm coming, Penny." <laughs> At last, Draco Malfoy had arrived, just like for a closer look. This is really so gay. Come on, Draco, you have to every day, every time. Every chance you got, you would come all the way through the tables, coming to your Harry Potter. Yes, you loved him, I know. After all the nasty things Draco has said, Harry said to Draco this time, "It's like pity you can't attach an extra arm to yours, Malfoy. Then it could catch a snitch for you." I guess this also provoked Malfoy to do something. He is going to do. You will see. When he's provoked, when he's angry at Harry, he do something stupid. That's why he does so. Draco. So time is very important. At a quarter to eleven, the Gryffindor team set off for the locker rooms.
Weather this time couldn't have been more different from their match against Hufflepuff. It was a clear, cool day with a very light breeze. There would be no visibility problems this time, and Harry, though nervous, was starting to feel the excitement only a Quidditch match could bring. Fighting against depression, the other team, Ravenclaw, they were dressed in blue. Already standing in the middle of the field, their seeker Cho Chen was the only girl on their team. She was shorter than Harry by about a head, and Harry couldn't help noticing, nervous as he was, that she was extremely pretty. She smiled at Harry as the team faced each other. <laughs> I really like how he felt a slight lurch in the region of his stomach that he didn't think had anything to do with nerves. Wink, wink. On count of three, Madam Hooch just let them kick off into the air. So I'm just going to read you Lee Jordan, the commentator, and Professor McGonagall. It's always fun to listen to the two of them. Lee Jordan said they are off, and the big excitement this match is the firebolts that Harry Potter is flying for Gryffindor, according to which broomstick? I think that's a magazine. The firebolts going to be the broom of choice for the national teams at this year's World Championship. Jordan, would you mind telling us what's going on in the match? In Interrupted Professor McGonagall's voice. Right, you are, Professor. Just giving a bit of background information. The firebolt instantly has a built-in auto break. And Jordan. Okay, okay. Gryffindor in position. Katie Bell of Gryffindor heading for goal. I think if Pr- Professor McGonagall and Lee Jordan had a podcast together, it would be so fun to listen to. And as w- now we know more layers of Professor McGonagall, you just can't help but loving her. She's really supportive of the Quidditch match because, as you can see, she's always here to cheer them up in the game, watch the game with them. Although in her unique way, <laughs> next comments was like Gryffindor leads by eighty points to zero, and look at that fireball go! But it's really putting it through its paces now. See it turn. Ch- Hands comet, no match for it. The fireball's procession balance is really noticeable in these long. Jordan, are you being paid to advertise fireballs? Get on with the commentary. Oh God, comic gold. As we see, that Harry is really fast, and eyes fixed on the speck of gold ahead. Just by then, Cho usually just appeared out of thin air, blocking him. As a gentleman, Harry would swirl. To avoid a collision, Wood to this Wood rolled. It's like Harry. This is no time to be a gentleman. Knock her off her broom if you have to. <laughs> I must say, Cho Chen's really smart because she, the tactic she had was like just follow Harry. And Harry sees this. It's like okay, she decided to mock him rather than search for the snitch herself. All right then, if she wanted to tell him, she'd have to take the consequences. He dived. Harry dived again. And Cho, thinking he'd seen the snitch, tried to follow. Harry put. Out of the dive very sharply, while she hurtled downwards, he rose fast as a bullet once more, and then saw it for the third time. The snitch was glittering way above the field, but at the Ravenclaw end, he accelerated. So did Cho. Just so many feet below, down there. Greeny gaining on the snitch with every second. So Harry's up, Cho is down. They both go accelerated to the snitch. But at the moment, Cho pointed and said, "Oh!" And Harry saw it. Three Dementors, three tall black hooded Dementors, was looking up at him, and he didn't stop to think. 
just plunging a hand down the neck of his robes, whipped out his wand and wrote, Expecto Patronum! This time, something silver-white, something enormous, erupted from the end of his wand. He knew it had shot directly at the mentors, but didn't pause to watch. His mind still miraculously clear. He looked ahead. He was nearly there. He stretched out the hand, still grasping his wand, and just managed to close his fingers over the small, struggling snitch. They won. Madame Hirsch's whistle sounded. Next moment, the whole team was hugging him so hard he was nearly put off his broom. Down below, he could hear the roars of the Gryffindors in the crowd. I'm going to read you how the team members greeted him. And just so you know, this time Harry was also a teenage boy. And you can see the wording is changing. But Wood is like, that's my boy. Wood just kept yelling, that's my boy. But Alicia, Angelina, and Katie had all kissed Harry. Different ways of congratulating him now. <laughs> Ron just yelled, yes, yes, yes. Pepper, Percy, is I will down Harry. Turn galleons to me. Must find Penelope. Excuse me. Oh, they brilliant. Boom, Hagrid. And not done yet. There's another voice. That was quite some Patronus. Harry turned around to see Professor Lupin, who looked both shaken and pleased. Harry said excitedly, the Dementors didn't affect me at all. I didn't feel a thing. Sorry to put you down again, Harry, but they weren't Dementors. Come and see. They are Malfoys, aka the gang of Malfoys. Crab and Goyo and Malfoy and Marcus Flint, the Slytherin team captain, all struggling to remove themselves from long black hooded robes. Stupid boys. This was deemed an unworthy trick, a low and cowardly attempt to subtouch the Gryffindor seeker. So from Professor McGonagall, they all get detention and 50 points from Slytherin. If anything could have set the seal on Gryffindor's victory, it was this. So party in the USA. <laughs> party in the Gryffindor Tower. It felt as though they had already won the Quidditch Cup. The party went on all day and well into the night. Fred and George Weasley disappeared for a couple hours and returned with armfuls of bottles of butterbeer, pumpkin fizz, and several bags full of honeyjuke sweets. Seriously, you can't party without Fred and George now. People are asking, where did you get that? And they're like, with a little help from Mooney, Wormtail, Padfoot, and Prongs. Only one person wasn't joining in these festivities, Hermione incredibly was sitting in a corner attempting to read an enormous book titled home life and social habits of british muggles oh jk and harry just break through around the table and over to her i thought he's gonna say something nice she's a girl after all but instead he said did you even come to the match she did of course i did said hermione in a strangely high-pitched voice not looking up and i'm very glad we won and i think you did really well but i need to read this by monday Harry softened a little bit. It's like, come on, Hermione, come and have some food. Looking over at Ron, wondering whether he was in a good enough mood to carry the hatchet. Silly boy, stupid Ron. <laughs> Hermione said to this, I can't, Harry. I've still got 422 pages to read. Anyway, he doesn't want me to join in. He glanced over at Ron too. Ron chose that moment to say loudly, If Scarburst hadn't just been eaten, he could have had some of those fudge flies. He used to really like them. Oh, wankers. Hermione burst into tears. Before Harry could say or do anything, she tucked the enormous book under her arm and, still sobbing, ran towards the staircases to the girls' dormitories and out of sight. Can't you give her a break? Harry asked Ron quietly. Nope, said Ron flatly. If she just acted like she was sorry, but she would never admit she's wrong, Hermione, still acting like Scarbus had gone on vacation or something. 
can I say, really enjoy reading those arguing, just like two couples and quarrel with each other, you know, sweet, but stupid. So the Gryffindor party ended only when Professor McGonagall turned up in her dressing gown and hairnet at one in the morning. Back in bed, Harry had a very strange dream. I will not read that part. And the Harry was woke up by Ron screaming. A little bit disoriented, Harry thought he heard the dormitory door slam. Someone, Dean Thomas, lit his lamp. Ron was sitting up in bed. A look of utmost terror on his face. A black, serious black with a knife. Slashed the curtains. Woke me up. Almost on cue, of course, they all scrambled out of the bed. Harry reached the dormitory door first and they sprinted back down. Then people joined them. A few of the girls had come down their staircases. You read you those parts. It's just now you're slightly feeling the boys and girls in you know, a teenage division. And there's boys room and girls room versus in the first two books. You don't feel that. You just feel they are children. And now you slightly feel like boys, they're growing up. There is a little bit of that going on. When they heard Ron saying Sirius Black was here, of course, they just like, oh, maybe you had too much to eat or too much to drink. Had a nightmare. Ron was like, I'm not. I'm telling you, it's here. And Professor McGonagall was back. And after some investigation, they are sure Sirius Black was here. Or at least some stranger was here. Professor McGonagall went out to ask the portrait of Sir Cadogan. Did you just let a man enter the Gryffindor Tower? Certainly. Good lady, cried Sir Cadogan. And hearing this, everybody just went still. Professor McGonagall is like, you did? But, but the password. And Sir Cadogan said proudly, he had them. He said, whoever that was, that man had a whole week's password. Read them off a little piece of paper, which belonged to Neville Longbutton. <laughs> okay, next chapter. Chapter 14, Snape's Garage. This chapter is called Snape's Grudge, but I must say I really enjoy that part. I'm, I didn't see that coming. I thought it's just Snape torturing Harry one way or another, you know, we're, we're used to it. So I just, I guess what I'm trying to say is every now and then J.K. Rowling would write some plot or dialogue or some background story and they shake up your already established character expectations. I think by now each character, not necessarily good or bad guys, it's just you have some, you know, more enjoyable characters, some annoying ones, some grumpy ones, know-it-all ones, you know, they are kind of in their separate boxes already. So you would have some expectation of where this gonna go, you know, and they would act in their characteristics. But this chapter was kind of like out of blue. Let me think about Hermione's point of view, Hermione's side of story, and really you feel for her and also Snape. I must say, I'm really with him this time. I, I can relate. You will see. This chapter starts with letter N. No one in Gryffindor Tower slept that night. They knew that the castle was being searched again and the whole house stayed a week in the common room, waiting to hear whether Black had been caught. Professor McGonagall came back at dawn to tell them that he had again escaped. Throughout the day, everywhere they went, they saw signs of tighter security. Professor Flitwick could be seen teaching the front doors to recognize a large picture of Sirius Black. Felch was suddenly bustling up and down the corridors, holding up everything from tiny cracks in the walls to mouse holes. Sir Cadogan had been fired. <laughs> His portrait had been taken back to its lonely landing on the seventh floor, and the fat lady was back. He had been 
expertly stored, but was still extremely nervous and had agreed to return job only on condition that she was given extra protection. And anywho, they just paced the corridors in the menacing group, talking in grunts and comparing the size of their clubs. So Harry couldn't help noticing that the statue of the one-eyed witch on third floor remained unguarded and unblocked. Good news to him. You know, even though Sirius Black, this archie enemy in this whole book, because Lord Voldemort was not in this book, was back, we didn't feel scared, right? Instead, feel like laughing at the whole situation. You know, everyone's on guard, everything's tied to security, but in a super comic way. Ron had become an instant celebrity. For the first time in his life, people were paying more attention to him than to Harry. Though still severely shaken by the night's event, he was happy to tell anyone who asked what had happened with a wealth of detail. He and Harry both had a question. It's just why though? Why did he run? It's serious black we are talking. He had proved 12 years ago even that he didn't mind murdering innocent people and this time he had been facing five unarmed boys four of whom were asleep harry thought he must thought he had to kill the whole house to get back through the poultry hall then he would have met the teachers so anyway and another one neville was in a total disgrace for neville punishment is just too much come on professor mcgonagall was so furious gave him detention and barred him from all future hogsmeade visits and on top of that forbidden anyone to give him the password into the tower poor neville now was forced to wait outside the common room every night for somebody to let him in while the security trolls leered unpleasantly at him and even worse he's got a howler from his grandma ron advised him to run for it, Neville. Neville didn't need telling twice. He seized the envelope and holding it before him like a bump, sprinted out of the hall while the slithering table exploded with laughter at the sight of him. They heard the howler go off in the entrance hall. Harry was too busy feeling sorry for Neville to notice immediately that he had a letter too. It was from Hagrid. It says, Dear Harry and Ron, how about having tea with me this afternoon around six? I'll come and collect you from the castle. Wait for me in the entrance hall. You are not allowed out on your own. Cheers, Hagrid. Mostly, Hagrid actually just went discussing Hermione's situation. That's really sweet and really mature of him. When they entered the hut, Harry actually felt a nasty pan of guilt. He had completely forgotten about Buckbeak's trial was so near, and judging by the uneasy look on Ron's face, he had too. They had also forgotten their promise about helping him prepare for Buckbeak's defense. The arrival of the fireboat had driven it clear out of their minds. Hagrid had given them tea and bath buns and said to them, I have something to discuss with you two about Hermione. The two boys obviously was in their heads. Hagrid told them, Hermione has been with me a lot since Christmas, been feeling lonely. First, you guys are not talking to her because of the fireballs. No, you guys are not talking to her because of her cats. Eight scabbers. Ron interjected angrily. If Hagrid didn't, I did. Rolled my eyes. Because her cats acted like all cats do. She's cried a fair few times. Going through a rough time at the moment. You know, because Hermione has got lots of coursework to do. Hagrid also agreed that she's bitten off more she can chew. And all the work she's trying to do, still find time to help Hagrid with Buckbeak's case. And Hagrid also said she's found some really good stuff. Reckon he will stand a good chance now. 
Harry and Ranja said, we will help too. And Hagrid continued, it's like, I see. I know you guys have something to work on as well. There's a lot of tough situation for you too. But I just got to tell you, I thought you two value your friends more than broomsticks or rats. That's all. Harry and Ron exchanged uncomfortable looks. And Hagrid kept saying, really upset she was when Black nearly stabbed you, Ron. She's got her heart in the right place, Hermione has, and you two not talking to her. Ron said angrily, if she'd just get rid of that cat, I'd speak to her again. But she's still sticking up for it. It's a maniac, and she won't hear a word against it. Hagrid said wisely to this, he said, ah, people can be a bit stupid about their pets, aren't we? He also looked at Buckbeak behind him. A large group of people was bunched around the bulletin board when they returned to the common room. Hogsmeade next weekend. I would say a bunch of people was hovering around the bulletin board. I wouldn't say was bunched around. <laughs> That's a new word usage for you guys. So they were just weighing about should should they risk it? You know, just go to the secret passageway. Belch hasn't done anything about it into honey jukes. Harry said a voice in his right ear. I won't read the whole part where Hermione tried to stop Harry from doing stupid things again. I will probably leave this part to learn English, <laughs> how to write it. It's so brilliant. It's like Hermione was burying herself behind a large chunks of books, so they didn't see her, but just a voice in his right ear. And Harry, if we go into Hogsmeade again, I will tell. I will tell Professor McGonagall about that map. Without looking at Hermione, Ron growled. Can you hear somebody talking? But Hermione said, how can you let him go with you, Ron? After what Sirius Black nearly did to you, I mean it. I will tell. And Ron responded, so now you're trying to get Harry expelled? Haven't you done enough damage this year? Hermione opened her mouth to respond, but Crookshanks leaped onto her lap. You could imagine Ron's horrible face. It's that expression on Ron's face. Hermione got it. She understands. Gather up Crookshanks and hurried away towards the girls' dormitory. They are pretty insensible, actually, when everybody was trying to protect Harry and they just like to take risks. So on Saturday morning, Harry packed his invisibility cloak, slipped the Marauders map into his pocket, and went down to breakfast with everyone else. After breakfast, he tried to get through the secret passageway, but meet Neville there, and then Snape. So the whole plan almost got screwed. Definitely got Snape sus suspected of Harry, for sure. He's onto something. It's like you have a habit of turning up in unexpected places, Potter, and you're very really there for no reason. When they finally break free, Harry saw Snape was arming that one-eyed witch's head closely. After he get rid of Neville at the fat lady by telling him the password, and then he kind of circled back to the now deserted third floor corridor. Then finally, he completely hidden beneath the invisibility cloak emerged into the sunlight outside Honey Jukes and prodded Ron in the back. They went to the post office, then they visited Zoko's, which was so packed they spent a bunch of money here as well. A lot of money, actually. There were jokes and tricks to fulfill even Fred and George's wildest dreams. And when they left, like I said, they spent a lot of money here. When they left Zoko's, their money bags were considerably lighter. They bought dung bumps, hiccup sweets, frog spawn soap, and a nose-biting teacup apiece. Now it's just hard for me to come picturing J.K. Rowling writing these things. You know, anyway, the day was fine and breezy, so they won't stay outdoors. They walked past the three broomsticks and climbed the slope to visit the Shrieking Shack, the most haunted drilling in Britain.
you know, they made Malfoy here and the whole shenanigans with Harry in, under invisibility cloak and make fun of them, just mess with them. The whole thing that was in the movie, right? So as Ron was saying, even the Hogwarts ghosts avoided it. They just kind of leaning in, looking up at it. According to Nearly's Headless Nick, he says he heard a very rough crowd lives here. No one can get in. Fred and George tried, obviously, but all the entrances are sealed shut. Harry was feeling hot from the climbing, but when he just tried to take off the cloak, invisibility cloak, uh, Malfoy gets here. Instantly, on seeing Ron, Malfoy just starts that foul mouth again. It's like, what are you doing here? Suppose you love to live here. Like, dreaming about having your own bedroom. I heard your family all sleep in one room. Harry crept silently around behind Malfoy, Crabbe, and Goyle, bent down and scooped a large handful of mud out of the path. As Malfoy was talking about Hagrid and how they're gonna get Buckbeat killed, splat! Malfoy's head jerked forward as the mud hit him. His silver blonde hair was suddenly dripping in muck. What the? Ron had to hold onto the fence to keep himself standing. He was laughing so hard. Malfoy, Crab, and Goyo spawned stupidly on the spot, staring wildly around. Malfoy trying to wipe his hair clean. What was that? Who did that? Ron was just kind of trying to commenting on the weather, like, very haunted up here, isn't it? And Goyo were looking scared. Their bulging muscles were no use against ghosts. Malfoy was staring madly around at the deserted landscape. Harry sneaked along the path, where a particularly slopey puddle yelled some foul-smelling green sludge splatter. Crab and Goyo caught some this time. Goyo hopped furiously on the spot, trying to rub it out of his small, dull eyes. It came from over there, said Malfoy, wiping his face and staring at the spot some six feet to the left of Harry. Grab blundered forward, his long arms outstretched like a zombie. Harry dodged around him, picked up a stick, and lopped it at Crab's back. Harry doubled up with silent laughter, and Crab tried to attack Ron, but Crab stumbled and because Harry stuck out his leg, and his huge flat foot caught the hem of Harry's cloak. Harry felt a great tug, then the cloak slid off his face. For a split second, Malfoy stared at him. Harry tugged the cloak up again, but the damage was done. Ron just called Harry, it's like, you'd better run for it. If Malfoy tells anyone, you'd better get back to the castle, quick. Harry just like, okay, see you later, and he torn back down the path towards Hogsmeade. Back into Honeydukes, back down the cellar steps, across the stone floor, through the trapdoor. Harry pulled off the cloak, tucked it under his arm, and ran flat out along the passage. Malfoy would get back first. How long would it take him to find the teacher? Panting, a sharp pain in his side. Harry didn't slow down until he reached the stone slide. He would have to leave the cloak where it was. It was too much of a giveaway in case Malfoy had tipped off a teacher. But Snape was approaching. He approached Harry at a swift walk. You just imagine Snape's swift walk. So, he said, come with me, Potter. Get into the Snape's office. Harry just saw some more horrible looking things in the jar since last time. And Snape confronted Harry with the Malfoy story, a strange tale Malfoy, Mr. Malfoy had just been telling me. He tells me that he was up by the Shrieking Shank when he ran into Weasley, apparently alone. Mr. Malfoy states that he was standing talking to Weasley when a large amount of mud hit him in the back of the head. How do you think that could have happened? 
I don't know, Professor. Harry tried to look mildly surprised. Snape's eyes were boring into Harry's, and Harry tried hard not to blink. Mr. Malfoy then saw an extraordinary apparition. Can you imagine what it might have been, Potter? No, said Harry, now trying to sound innocently curious. It was your head, Potter, floating in midair. There was a long silence. So Snape just gave it out, like Malfoy is not having hallucinations. If your head was in Hogsmeade, so was the rest of you. So he keeps saying, everyone from the Minister of Magic downwards have been trying to keep the famous Harry Potter safe from serious black, but the famous Harry Potter is a law unto himself. Let the ordinary people worry about his safety. Famous Harry Potter goes where he wants to, with no thought for the consequences. How extraordinarily like your father you are, Potter! He too was exceedingly arrogant. A small amount of talent on the Quidditch field made him think he was a cut above the rest of us too. Strutting around the place with his friends and admirers, the resemblance between you is uncanny. Harry wouldn't be able to take that. When people saying something about his dad, so he goes, "My dad didn't strut, and neither do I." Even says, "Shut up," to Snape. What did you say to me, Potter? I told you to shut up about my dad. I know the truth, all right. He saved your life. Dumbledore told me you wouldn't be here even if it weren't for my dad. Oh, Snape's face just gone color of milk. It's like, okay. And did the headmaster tell you the circumstances in which your father saved my life? Oh. Did he consider the details too unpleasant for precious Potter's delicate ears? I would hate for you to run away with the false idea of your father, Potter. Have you been imagining some act of glorious heroism? Then let me correct you. Your saintly father and his friends played a highly amusing joke on me that would have resulted in my death if your father hadn't got cold feet at the last moment. There was nothing brave about what he did. He was saving his own skin as much as mine. Had their joke succeeded, he would have been expelled from Hogwarts. Turn out your pockets, Potter. Harry didn't move, and he said again, "Turn out your pockets, or we go straight to the headmaster. Pull them out, Potter." And then. Didn't have any other way. Harry slowly pulled out the bag of Zoko's tricks and the Marauders map, and of course, Snape couldn't see anything on that map because he didn't know the can passwords. And Snape tried to do something, use his wand, and then got some insulted words appear on the map. Something like Mr. Mooney presents his compliments to Professor Snape and begs him to keep his abnormally large nose out of other people's business. And then something like Mr. Prongs agrees with Mr. Mooney and would like to add that Professor Snape is an ugly. Get. And then they have Mr. Padfoot would like to register his astonishment that an idiot like that ever became a professor. And Mr. Wormtail bids Professor Snape good day and advises him to wash his hair. The slime ball. Oh, Snape just got furious. He strode across to his fire, seized a fistful of glittering powder of sorts from a jar on the fireplace, and threw it into the flames. And talk to Lupin. It's like Lupin. I want a word. Utterly bewildered, Harry just stared at the fire. Within a second, Professor Lupin was clambering out of the fireplace, brushing ash off his shabby robes. That's how you do it. Wow.
Lupin said mildly. You called Severus? Yeah, that's how they call. And then Lupin gets the situation, try to save Harry out of the trouble. It's just like, oh, it's not. This is not a parchment full of dark magic. It's not. It looks to me as though it is merely a piece of parchment that insults anybody who reads it. Childish, but surely not dangerous. I think I imagine Harry got it from a joke shop. And then right on cue, Ron came bursting into the office. He was completely out of breath. He said, "I gave Harry that." Stuff and bought it in Zuko's ages ago. Lupin just said, "Well, well, that seems to clear that up." Severus, I will take that from here. Okay, I will take this back. Harry, Ron, come with me. I need a word about my vampire essay. Excuse me, Severus. Harry didn't dare look at Snape as they left his office. He. Ron and Lupin walked all the way back into the entrance hall before speaking. I like how before Harry speak. Lupin goes. I don't want to hear explanations. I happen to know that this map was confiscated by Mister Felch many, many years ago. I don't want to know how it fell into your possession. I am, however, astounded that you didn't hand it in. Particularly after what happened the last time a student left information about the castle lying about, and I can't let you have it back, Harry. And Harry asked. Why does Snape think I got it from the owner, the maker? I mean, Harry, come on, can you learn a lesson? He's trying to teach you something, and you just keep going with your stupid head. But yeah, story requested. So Lupin explained because these map makers would have wanted to lure you out of school. They think it's extremely entertaining. Do you know them? Harry asked, but Lupin don't doesn't seem like wants to explain anymore. It's like, yeah, we've met, and don't expect me to cover up for you again, Harry. I cannot make you take Sirius Black seriously, but I would have thought that what you have heard when the Dementors draw near you would have had more of an effect on you. Your parents gave their lives to keep you alive, Harry. A poor way to repay them, gambling their sacrifices for a bag of magic tricks. He walked away, leaving Harry feeling worse by far than he had at any point. In Snape's office, guilt. Yes. Slowly, he and Ron mounted the marble staircase. As Harry passed the one-eyed witch, he remembered the invisibility cloak. It was still down there, but he didn't dare to go and get it. And Ron was saying, "Take the blame. It's like it's my fault. I persuaded you to go." Lupin's right. It was stupid. We shouldn't have done it. And he broke off. When they reached the corridor, they saw Hermione running, to- walking towards them. They thought、uh, she probably heard the news and told Professor McGonagall or something. It's like, come to have a good gloat, or have you just been to tell on us? No, said Hermione. It's like stupid things. I'm telling you something more serious. I just thought you ought to know. Hagrid lost his case. Buckbeak is going to be executed. 